Welcome to the JWRP Momentum Talks. Join us now for a journey into Jewish wisdom and inspiration. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. I'm Lori Palatnik. I'm the founding director of the JWRP. And today we're going to talk about the four things you never knew about Judaism. Sometimes it's called the four misconceptions or the four foundations. These four ideas are so important in understanding and unlocking the path to your potential. Because for sure, you can apply this to many areas of life, but for sure, we're going to, uh, we're going to apply it to your Judaism because if you don't understand these four foundation ideas, it's going to be very hard for you to grow and realize your potential. You'll notice that a lot of my talks, I weave in these four ideas in a lot of my talks or my conversations or even in my counseling because these are primary. The reason it's called foundations, okay, because without these, it's very hard to build anything. You can remember this talk and you can teach it to and share it with anybody you know by remembering the acronym JAKP, J-A-K-P, okay, JAKP, J. J stands for judgment. How many people here who perhaps are uh, not necessarily so observant feel that religious Jews judge you? Put up your hand. How many people here who are perhaps on the more observant side feel that secular Jews judge you? You know why you feel this way? because it's true. You are judging each other, and it's wrong. It is actually forbidden from the Torah. No, it's actually forbidden by the Torah. It's like eating lobster. It's You're completely, completely, completely not allowed to judge another person. Do we agree that you shouldn't judge people? Do you agree? There's a new rabbi in town. He's very judgmental. You want to meet him? No. You, you, you don't want people to judge you. Do we agree we shouldn't judge people? That's right. We never judge people. We judge people all the time. What they wear, what they drive, where they go to synagogue, where they don't go to synagogue, where they send their kids to school, where they don't send their kids to school, how they vote. We judge people all the time. And the Torah says it's wrong. You're not allowed to judge people. Why? It says you're only allowed to judge a person once you've come to their place. And since we can never, ever come to a person's place, you're not allowed to judge them. Even when people pay a shiva call to a mourner, and you can't say, I know how you feel. Let's say they lost their father, and you lost your father. You didn't lose their father. You don't really know how a person feels. You didn't have their parents. You didn't have their challenges. You didn't have, you can never come to a person's place. So you can't judge them. We meet people in chapter three. You don't know what happened in chapter one and chapter two. And you don't know what's going to be in chapter four and chapter five. And yet we're so quick to judge people in chapter three. We married our spouses in chapter three. He had a mother in chapter one and chapter two. 
So since you can never, ever come to a person's place, you can't judge them. What are you allowed to judge? Actions. You can say that person is making a mistake, but you can't say that's a bad person because they're making a mistake. Remember I told you, my husband said, don't be so open-minded that your brains fall out, okay? People make mistakes. People do wrong things. But you can't judge their essence because they're making that mistake. But you can judge the mistake. There are people in life, you actually are allowed to judge their essence. But it's not your sister or your sister-in-law or your boss. It's evil people in the world who are trying to destroy the world and trying to destroy the Jewish people. That person, you're allowed to judge not just their actions, but their essence. Otherwise, you're not allowed to judge another person. Only God is allowed to judge. And we're happy that God judges us, right? No, come on. We're a little uncomfortable with that too, (laughs) okay? Hopefully I'm going to show you. Not only are you happy that God judges you, you are thrilled that God judges you. Every year on Rosh Hashanah, our new year, we are judged. It's our day of judgment. That's what Rosh Hashanah is. If Rosh Hashanah is our day of judgment, why are we so happy? Good Yantiv, Shana Tova, Happy New Year. Why are we so happy if it's our day of judgment? This is my theory. Half the people are happy because they have no idea it's their day of judgment. Hey, how was your summer? Nice hat. How are the kids? The other half are happy because they know it's their day of judgment. They know it's their day in court. And they're completely prepared and have done the work, and they're completely optimistic and confident that they're going to be judged to the good. What's the difference between our new year and their new year? What's the difference between Rosh Hashanah and January 1st? January 1st. What do we do? We make resolutions. I have to tell you, years ago I was living in Toronto, and my our neighbor was not Jewish. And we were renting a home from Jewish people who were not observant, but they were, you know, they were our landlords. So, and we were like, we're the funny neighbors, okay? Like all the crazy things we do because we're, my husband's a rabbi. One time, like they, our neighbors, they called up our landlords because they knew them and said, your tenants are building an addition onto your home and it's very tacky. So what was it? It was a sukkah. Yeah. So so they, first they got nervous, and then we said, oh, no, uh, and then they, they they realized, oh, it it's Sukkot. It'll be gone in a few days. Do you understand? Okay. We're the fun neighbors. Okay. So, so it was just before Rosh Hashanah, and I drive up into my driveway, and I'm taking out my groceries, and my non-Jewish neighbor came over and said, Happy New Year. Is that what I'm supposed to say? And I said, yes, it's my New Year. Thank you. She goes, tell me about your New Year. So what am I going to say to her? So I said, well, we look back at our year, we resolve to be better people, and we gather with family and friends in celebration. She goes, oh, that sounds just like ours. And I remember walking into, the, into my home thinking, it does sound like theirs. What's the difference? January 1st. I resolve, <laughs> okay, I, yeah, you know, we make resolutions, okay? Uh, like the health club memberships surge in January, okay? And they never build more lockers. Get it? Okay, so we join, but we don't go. 
So I resolved to lose weight, quit smoking, uh, call my parents more often, uh, be learn a language. Okay. One year rolls along. I didn't do any of it. So what do I do? Happy New Year. We'll try again. Rosh Hashanah. I resolved to do exactly the same things. One year rolls along. I didn't do any of them. What do I have to do? I have to go before God and I have to account. Accountability. The difference between our new year and their new year is accountability. And accountability is good. Accountability is great. Imagine a life right now with no accountability. Nobody cares if you come, you go. You make the sale, you don't make the sale. You show up on time, you don't show up on time. You make dinner, you don't make dinner. What does that sound like? Club Med. And Club Med is fun for a few days. But after a while, you throw yourself off a bridge. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. The fact that God judges us means somebody cares. It means my actions count. My decisions matter. It means my life has meaning. That's why not only are we happy that God judges us, we're thrilled. But when we think of judgment, we think of something bad. Imagine, um, is anybody here a lawyer? Anybody want to admit they're a lawyer? So imagine that Sarah is my lawyer, okay? I show up. Uh, I'm accused of a crime, God forbid, okay? I show up in court, I'm late. So Sarah's freaking out, like, whoa, 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 you're late, you're late. I'm like, oh, oh I'm, I'm sorry, I'm late. And she goes, okay, well, at least you're here now. And did you bring the affidavits, like the papers you were supposed to bring? And I'm like, I was supposed to bring papers. Gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, I really like, she goes, no, she's like freaking out more. And she goes, well, at least did you bring your friend, the witness, who's gonna, who's, who's gonna testify on your behalf? And I'm like... I was supposed to call my friend. Sarah, I'm so sorry, but really, this is the first moment I thought about this. This is what we do at Rosh Hashanah, okay? We walk in, we open up the prayer book. Whoa, this is, this is a little scary. Like, maybe I should have prepared. It's my day in court. So now Sarah's not only freaking out, now I'm freaking out, okay? And then the judge, the, 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 the bailiff says, all rise. The judge comes in from the chambers. I look up and the judge is my dad. How do I feel now? Oh my, I say to Sarah, like, Sarah, Sarah, don't worry, don't worry. He, it's my dad. He's my father. We have different last names because I'm married. Do you understand? I, I go, don't worry. It, 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 we're in, we're in. My, the judge is my dad. On one hand, I'm so happy and relieved. Why? He's my dad. He loves me. Any judgment he's going to make is going to be for my good. Any, any, any punishment he gives is, is also going to be for my good. Any loophole he could find to get me out of this, he's going to find it. He's my dad. On the other hand, how do I feel? He's my dad. He sees me in court accused of a crime. I'm ashamed for him to see me this way. People are going to testify and say things that I'm ashamed my father should hear. It's not just Judge Ito on the bench. This is my dad. He's, I'm going to see him at the Passover Seder. I care what he thinks about me. So God is our Father in heaven. Yes, he judges us, but he's judging us out of love and caring. He 
for sure is going to find us every loophole to get out of this. But any judgment he makes is going to be for our good. So on one hand, on Rosh Hashanah, I'm so happy. He's my father in heaven. He's my daddy. He loves me. He loves me more than I love my kids, more than my parents love me. He gives me these relationships that give me an inkling of what it means that he loves me. On the other hand, I also feel on Rosh Hashanah ashamed. I have to account. He gave me the gift of life this year. What did I do with it? He gave me the gift of speech. Did I use it to yin yin yang gossip about my neighbors? Or did I use it to spread wisdom and to make people feel good about themselves? Do you understand? He's my dad. How are we judged? You'll like this, hopefully. We are judged uniquely as individuals. At the end of days, like every year we have our judgment of Rosh Hashanah, we judge for the, the year. But one day we're going to go before God at the end of our life and he, we're going to be judged on our whole life. And he's going to judge us individually. He's not going to say, Stephanie, why weren't you Lori? He's not going to say, Lori, why weren't you Stephanie? But he's going to say, Stephanie, why weren't you Stephanie? Lori, why weren't you Lori? We all use one little fingernail of potential. The worst thing at parent-teacher night is when you go and the teacher says, your child has so much potential, but they're not realizing it. You're like, ugh. The Almighty gave us so much potential and he wants us to realize that potential. So one is that we're judged individually, which is very good, okay? But we are judged individually. Um, if my name was Chafchi and I was born in Meir Sharim in Jerusalem in the most religious neighborhood in the world and I grew up speaking Yiddish and I wore braids, God expects things from Chafchi. But he expects different things from Chafchi than he expects from Lori Palatnik who grew up in Toronto and was Lori Zelser and didn't know anything about Shabbat or anything about Judaism. And, and he expects things from both of us and he judges us individually. But he does expect things from you. One of the first things one of the first steps of judgment that we're taught is Talmud Torah. One of the first thing God judges you on is Talmud Torah, which means the learning of life wisdom. Listen to the language. Not how much you know, how hard did you try to find out what was right? We're judged on effort. We get A for effort. The school system today is not like that. You're not judged on effort. You're judged if you get the right answer. It, really. Unfortunately, some of my kids got my math gene, which is not pretty. And some of them got my husband's math gene. My husband's like a walking calculator, okay? A kid who struggles in math, like I did, and I had to work harder at that subject than all my other subjects combined, like history, English, theater. That was, it came very easy to me. Math, it was, it, it was painful. I had to work harder. It was my lowest grade, but I got more pleasure from that grade. So a kid who works very hard and gets a C in math versus the kid who's the walking calculator who doesn't even have to crack open a book and gets an A. Who grew more? The kid with the C, for sure. But the system judges them as if 
they're on a lower level. But God says, the one with the C, they're A+. A+. The one who never cracked a book? Are you kidding me? I have one of our kids is super bright. And she once brought her report card home and straight A's. And she goes, Ema, look at my grades. I'm like, that's great. Did you study hard? She goes, Ema, look at my grades. I go, did you do your best? She goes, Ema, look at my grades. She said, no, I never opened a book and I didn't work hard. But look at my grades. I said to her, and I meant it, I'd rather you come home with D's and you tried your best. Because I knew she'd never cracked a book. She's super smart. She can half listen. She knows how to charm the teachers. She gets her A. But that's not how you grow. When you, my kids go off to write an exam or to, I always say to them, do your best. The mistake we make as parents, and this is, I learned with tremendous wisdom from the book, uh, Blessing of a Skid Knee. It's an excellent book. One of the things she says, we don't expect any adult to be great at everything. And yet we expect our kids to get straight A's. And we're disappointed if they don't. We don't expect an adult to be strong intellectual and strong creative, strong left brain, strong right brain. You could care less if your medical doctor knows anything about geography. Do you care? What was your geography grade? You could care less. I hope you did well in science, okay? Hope you did well in med school. And yet, the insanity is we put unbelievable, unbelievable pressure on our kids, and the system puts an unbelievable exp uh, uh, pressure on our children that they should get this high grade point average because you should be great at everything. My kids' report card has, the schools we send our kids to, has two sides. One side is their grades, right? It's their grades. Science, Chumash, geography, history, Tanakh, okay? On the other side, it's midot, which means character traits. Are they kind? Are they sensitive? Do they work well with others? Are they, are they loving? Do you understand? I tell my kids, on this side with the grades, do your best. No one's great at everything, but you grow by the effort, by working hard. And this time in high school is to find what jazzes you. Okay, this is trying all these different subjects and one's going to jazz you and that's what you're going to pursue later on. On the other side, your character traits, this is what life is all about. Nobody marries you because of your grade point average or what you got in history. They want to be your friend and they want to marry you and they want to spend time with you and they respect you because of this because you're kind and considerate and sensitive and loving and supportive. This is what life is all about. This is where we want you to be great across the board. Do you understand? So God judges us individually and he judges us. He gives us A for effort. Just do your best, but not your best compared to other people. Because how do we self-judge? How do we judge ourselves? Well, compared to my friends, I'm a little bit more generous, um, um, in in intelligent, giving, um, spiritual. If I'm one notch above my social group, I'm doing great. I hate to break the news to you. God does not judge you 
based on your social group. He judges you based on you. And you have to look in the mirror. And there was a point in my life, and it should be every day, but there was definitely a point in my life where I realized, yes, compared to other people, I'm whatever. I'm a little bit of a notch above in some areas. But who's fooling whom? We could all be so much more. And we're like riding on compared to my friends. Come on. So you can't judge another person. You can only judge actions. Only God is allowed to judge. And we want him to judge us. Because the fact that he judges us means my life counts. My choices, my actions, my words have meaning. So that's J. J stands for judgment. Any questions? We good? Okay. A. A is it's not all or nothing. We don't live any aspect of our life all or nothing, but for some crazy reason, we look at our spirituality and our Judaism as all or nothing. Unless I do it all, I might as well do nothing. If I eat something on Friday night that's not so kosher, and then I light Shabbat candles, and then I get into a car and go to a movie, wait a minute, I can't do that. How can I light the Shabbat candles if I just ate something that's not kosher and I'm going to go to a movie? I'm just being a hypocrite. Better not to light. And that's not true. What does it mean to be a hypocrite? So imagine... Um, Imagine you came to my class. I have a series called Jewish Values for Jewish Kids. It's a class. Uh, when I used to teach locally, I would have these groups. And I did a series, Jewish Values for Jewish Kids. And so, you know, women came, uh, young mothers. So imagine at the, and I'm teaching in the class, uh, some of the wisdom I'm teaching about parenting, um, that as parents, we are teachers of values. That's who we are. We are educators. And the word for education is chinuk, and it, it relates to, it's connected to the word Hanukkah, right? So what does Hanukkah mean? Dedication. And chinuk means education. And in Hebrew, when two words have the same root, there's a deeper meaning behind it. So what's the connection between education and dedication? Because when you're really educating a child, you're dedicating them with values that are eternal. That's our job as parents. So you're writing this down. It's very nice. And I say that as parents that you should never discipline your children when you're angry, the Talmud says. Because if you discipline your children when you're angry, you're gonna be you're gonna say things you regret and it's gonna be over the top. Okay? So you should always wait till you're not angry before you discipline them. You could pretend you're angry in order to get over a point, but you shouldn't be angry. Also, the Torah teaches us that you should never embarrass your children in front of other people. You're not allowed to embarrass anybody, because embarrassing somebody is akin to killing them. If you've ever been embarrassed, like you wanna die. Okay, so you should never embarrass them. Okay, fine. So, so you're writing all this down, very nice. And then after class, I come up to you and I say, um, would you and your family like to join us Friday night for dinner, for Shabbat dinner? Would you like to come to our house? And you're like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, that would be so nice. You go home, you tell your husband, he's like, I'm not going to the rabbi's house. You have a big fight, you win, and now you're coming. Okay, so now it's Friday night. Some Friday nights are like this. You come in. My house is beautiful. I'm beautiful. My children are beautiful. 
my kids greet you, Shabbat Shalom, good Shabbos, can I take your coat, how may I address you, we sit down, we have beautiful chatter, my husband comes home from shul, good Shabbos everyone, my kids run into their father's arms, good Shabbos Abba, I introduce you to my husband, everybody wishes each other a good Shabbos, now we come to the table with the crystal and the linen and you smell chicken soup bubbling on the stove and there's homemade challah on the table and my husband sings Shalom Aleichem, welcoming the Shabbos angels and he sings Aisha's Chayel to me in praise of Jewish women and then he says who wants their bracha who wants their blessing and my children float like little angels to my husband and he puts his hands on their heads and he gives them a blessing I look around and all my guests have tears in their eyes like where do I sign up for this that's some Friday nights some Friday nights you arrive my house used to be beautiful when my kids were little. They have now trashed the house, okay? Okay, I used to be beautiful, and now I got handprints all over me, okay? And I'm trying to, to you come in, my kids are so busy fighting, they don't, even, they, they don't even notice that you're there. And I'm quietly trying to discipline my children. Like, shh, 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 Can we sit down, right? We're trying to talk, and they're fighting. I'm like, shh, 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 shh. My husband comes home from shul. Good job, everyone. Who want, who, good job, is. And my kids are so busy fighting, they don't even notice their father's there. And I'm like, shh, 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 shh. We get to a Shabbos table, Shalom Aleichem. They're still fighting. I'm like, shh, 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 shh. Who wants their bracha, he says? Who wants their blessing? My kids are like, I don't want my bracha. How can he get his bracha before me? I'm embarrassed. I've lost my temper. I'm done. I yell at my children and I send them to their rooms for life. Now it's a little uncomfortable around the Shabbat table. Dinner finishes. You leave. On the way home, you turn to your husband and say, Lori is such a hypocrite. Just this week in class, she said, don't discipline your children when you're angry. Don't embarrass your children in front of other people. And look what she did. She is such a hypocrite. Am I a hypocrite? No. What am I? I'm a human being. A hypocrite says something, doesn't believe it, and lives their life accordingly. A human being says, I believe in this value. This is what I'm shooting for. I may not be there now, and I may never get there, but that's what we're going for. It's not all or nothing. If you eat something on Friday night, that's not so kosher. And then you light Shabbat candles, and then you get into your car and go to a movie. God does not look down and says, Trave, movie, candles, we're back to square one. No, every mitzvah you do, every commandment you fulfill, Every kindness that you do is for eternity, even if you err the second before and the second after. It's not all or nothing. But the most important thing is to be moving up. There's no such thing in Judaism as staying the same. Just like there's no such thing in, in, in any aspect of your life of staying the same. People in my classes know never to use the C word in my class. What's the C word? Comfortable. Lori, I'm comfortable in my marriage. I'm comfortable in my Judaism. I'm comfortable. You know what comfortable means? You stop trying. This is not a world of comfort. This is a world of opportunity. This is a world of accomplishment. You have all of eternity to hang out and be comfortable. Not here. Take pleasure. Grow. Comfortable is for the next world. Comfortable means you stop trying. 
And there's no such thing as staying the same. Woody Allen said, life is like a shark. Unless you're moving, you're dead. Life is movement. Either you're going up the ladder of your potential or down. There's no such thing as staying the same. I used to be an aerobics instructor. Okay, you know in fitness, if you think you're staying the same, you're really slipping back. You got to be moving up. You don't move up so fast that you hurt yourself. And sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps back, but at least you're up a step. The Jewish calendar is not a cycle. Whoa, it just seemed like yesterday it was fill in the holiday. It's a spiral. You are going around, but hopefully from year to year, you're going up. And again, sometimes it's three steps up and two steps down, but at least you're up a step. K of Jack P. K stands for knowledge. It's better to know and not to do than not to know. It's better to have knowledge of something and not to put into action than never to have had the knowledge at all. Don't make the mistake and think that you go home and uh, there's a class on keeping kosher, okay? Oh, I'm not going to go to that class because if I know about keeping kosher and then I don't do it, then I'm in big trouble. Better not to know. Ignorance is bliss. Guess what? Ignorance is not bliss. Clarity is bliss. Knowledge is bliss. Ignorance is death. Imagine the scenario. It's Friday night. It's the summer. So Shabbat, the sun sets late and Shabbat comes in late, but you're allowed to bring it in early, you know, because your kids can be there at the dinner. You can't take it out early, but you're allowed to bring it in early. So we bring Shabbat in early. My husband is now walking home from shul. He's coming home for dinner from services, and he sees two of our neighbors, our Jewish neighbors, getting into their cars. And we never have lived in an observant community because that's what we do. We go in and do our thing. And, um, but we always have a wonderful relationship with our neighbors. So two of our neighbor, Jewish neighbors are getting to their car and they go, good Shabbos, Rabbi. And my husband says, good Shabbos. Where are you going? They go, we're going to the ball game. He said, would you like to come in and hear Kiddush before you go? So one guy goes, Rabbi, thank you so much, but I like to go to the pregame warm-up. The second guy says to his buddy, you know what? You go ahead. I'm going to hear Kiddush. I'll meet you at the game. So one guy drives off. The other guy comes in. My husband talks to him about Shabbat, how it's a day we disconnect in order to connect. And it's a day where it's an oasis of time, where we focus in our blessings. He talks about Kiddush, means sanctification and elevation. We take everything physical in the world. We elevate it to a higher level. He makes Kiddush. He has something to drink. He has something to eat. And then he shakes my husband's hand and goes, Rabbi, thank you so much. Good Shabbos. Gets into his car and goes to the ball game. Who's better off, the first guy or the second guy? For sure the second guy. Maybe next week he'll make Kiddush. Maybe he won't. But if he doesn't have the knowledge, how can he make good choices? We pride ourselves on making choices based on knowledge. Whether we're buying a car, or we're choosing a college, or hopefully choosing a soulmate, we pride ourselves on making educated choices. Most of us, most Jews today, 
their Jewish education or their Jewish base of knowledge. I grew up in Toronto. We called our after-school Hebrew school Jew jail. Okay, it was like a sentence. All right, and the tw- and your bar and bat mitzvah became your graduation out of Judaism. Now I don't have to do this anymore. Instead of what's supposed to be, which is your graduation in. Does this sound familiar? Okay. Are we really making educated choices based on sometimes a negative Jewish education or experiences that or Jewish learning that ended when we were not on such a mature level? There is a level of knowledge that once you really know, if you really knew something and you don't put into practice then there is some consequences. Do you understand? There's a difference between a three-year-old writing on the wall or a 23-year-old writing on the wall, okay? The 23-year-old is in big trouble because they know. What does it mean in Judaism to know? So myself, my husband, and most of our friends, we're, we're called Balchuvas. Why? It means like a master of return. It's somebody who didn't grow up observant, grew up secular, but usually as a young adult, starts to learn and embrace this. So we have a friend who is uh, a rabbi, and he grew up also like us, very secular. And But now he's a rabbi, he's married, he's got young children. And this was years ago. And he went to visit his parents in Miami. Uh, they had a condo in Miami. And it was, they were going to be there over Shabbat. If you've ever tried to keep Shabbat, when all those around you are not, it's not so simple. It's a little bit challenging. And that's the situation he found himself in. But it's his parents. During Shabbat, his daughter, Sarah, who at the time was probably eight years old, who's now married with kids, came running over to him. Abba, Abba, Bubby turned on the light and it's Shabbos. He said, Sarah, Bubby doesn't know about Shabbos. Five minutes later, she comes running over. Abba, Abba, Bubby turned off the light and it's Shabbos. He goes, Sarah, I told you, Bubby doesn't know about Shabbos. She goes, no, I told her. Does Bubby know about Shabbos? Bubby doesn't know about Shabbos. When you learn something, when you hear something, when you read something, even when you start putting something into practice, those are the baby steps towards knowledge. If my husband, the rabbi, God forbid, was mad at God on Shabbat and turned on the light as if... He's really going to show God, okay? Turn on the light on Shabbos. Okay, there's the, he knows there's consequences. But for most Jews, even for some rabbis today, we are so far away from really knowing, really knowing. Jews don't leave Judaism because of what they know. They leave it because of what they don't know. If we really knew, we wouldn't leave. If we really knew... It would be a very different world. But we grew up, the last couple of generations for sure, grew up in the 13 and out club. We grew up so far away from knowing. We grew up so far away from understanding that the Torah, that the word Torah means instructions. It doesn't mean Bible. It's referred to as Torah Chaim, instructions for life. There's wisdom in the Torah on how to choose the right person to marry how to have a great marriage, how to raise great kids, how to be successful in business. It's all in there. But we grew up, it was dusty Bible stories, men in robes walking through sand dunes. 
it was just taught and presented in a very archaic, ritualistic, faraway way. And really, it's wisdom for life. And there is no group of Jews who have a monopoly on this Torah. This is your Torah too. This is as much your Torah than anybody else's Torah. The only thing we have in common in this room, and we all come from walk, different walks of life and different cultures and different levels of knowledge and observance, you open up the Torah scroll in the synagogue you may go to maybe even once a year, and they're identical, every word and every letter. But we have to learn it, and we have to integrate it, and we have to, again, hopefully see that there's wisdom here for my life today. God put us into this world and gave us an instruction manual. He didn't put us into the seat of a 747 and say, fly. If somebody put you into the 747 and said, fly, you'd go like, um, is there a manual? <laughs> okay, is there some classes here? Like, can, like, God put us into life and gave us a manual. But we all saw the movie. And the book is better than the movie. Always read the book. Imagine your brother messed up, messed up his marriage, messed up with his kids, messed up in business, and now he's in jail. In jail, he got into drugs. You haven't had contact with your brother in years, and you hear through somebody else that he's out of jail. You do some basic research. You want to help your brother. You find out where he's living. You go. It's like the bad side of town. It's like a tenement. You're scared to be there. You walk up the stairs. You knock on his apartment door. You hear noise and shuffling behind the door. And you say, it's me. It's me. It's your sister. Let me in. Let me in. I, I, please, I want to talk to you. He opens the door. You, you don't even recognize your brother. He's like just a shadow of his former self. There's multi newspapers everywhere. Can you hear the scene? You sit down. You say to him, I love you. Here's the phone number of a drug rehab center. Here's the phone number of a marriage counselor. I talked to your wife. She's willing to go into counseling. Here's the phone number of a family therapist. Your kids are willing to try to make it work. Your brother can do one of two things. He can tear up the paper and throw it in your face and say, get out of here. I never want to see you again. Or he can put it aside and say, thank you. In both scenarios, he'd never picked up the phone. He never dialed a number. But if he has the information, maybe one day he will. Maybe one day he won't just like the man who made Kiddush. Maybe he'll make Kiddush next week, maybe he won't. But if you don't have the information, if you don't have the knowledge, how can you possibly make good choices? It's better to know and not to do than not to know. It's better to have knowledge of something and not to put into action than never to have had the knowledge at all. Never be afraid to learn and grow. God wants you to have the information even if you never use it. Because if you don't have the knowledge, how can you make good choices? Knowledge is bliss. P of Jack P. 
So J stands for judgment, A is it's not all or nothing, K stands for knowledge, P. P stands for the reason we're all here. The reason God created us. Pleasure. Pleasure. We're here for pleasure. Isn't that nice? We're here for pleasure. You see, we're pleasure seekers. We're always seeking pleasure. Everything has a purpose. You see that everything's created for a purpose. We're created for pleasure. But there's pleasure and there's pleasure. There's chocolate ice cream. There's falling in love. There's saving somebody's life. There's creating something that can make a difference in the world. And there's transcendence itself. There's pleasure and there's pleasure. I can look at my children and say, wow, short people who look like me. Or I can say, these are neshamas, these are souls that God gave me to teach values to, to nurture, and help them to realize their potential. Wine can be something that I drink and I'm a drunk and I fall into a gutter. Or I can pour it into a kiddush cup on Friday night and say a blessing, elevate the meal, and sip it and enhance the meal. Sexuality can be what you see on the street or can be the ultimate oneness between a husband and wife. We are not the religion or the nation that says, the more you remove yourself from the physical, the more spiritual you become. That's, that's, a, that's a different religion. The monk, the priest, the nun. The more you remove yourself from the physical, the more spiritual you become. Judaism says, use, elevate through the physical. That's how you become spiritual. But use it and don't abuse it. You see, it's a fine line. So we're created for pleasure. But you want the ultimate pleasure. You want to up it. I have to tell you that a few years ago, I had the unbelievable, unbelievable opportunity to donate my kidney to a woman I had never met before. And it was the greatest experience of my life. By far, there is nothing that compares to it, nothing. People often criticize, it's a whole talk unto itself, which I'm not gonna give now, but people often criticize and say like, wait a minute, when I say that, how, what do you mean it's the greatest experience of your life? How could, be, it, how could it be greater than having children? And I say, you know, the initial desire to have a child is actually a selfish desire. I want a baby. See my baby? Now, very quickly you realize you're in it for them and they're not in it for you. Okay, what you get from them. Our rabbi always said, if you had children for what they were going to do for you, get an English butler, they're cheaper. Okay, clearly you're in it for them. But the initial desire is really much more for me. This was the greatest opportunity that the Almighty ever gave me to give just for the pure pleasure of giving. Often when we give, you know, people often say, like, they also, another criticism people say, like, well, I can imagine giving it to, like, somebody I know, like my, my spouse, my child, my parent, but to give it to somebody, a stranger? And I always say, I'd rather, I'm much happier to give it to a stranger. Why? Number one, I'm glad nobody I know needs a kidney. Number two, imagine, uh, you know, God forbid, 
Uh, you know Ruth, who we work with? Okay, uh, she's my friend. We carpool together. Our kids are friends, right? We're co-workers. Imagine, if, God forbid, she needed a kidney. Of course I would give Ruth my kidney. Now it's six months later. I'm going to L.A. to speak. And I call up Ruth. I go, Ruth, I'm going to L.A. this week. Can you cover my carpool? And she goes, you know, Lori, I have a busy week. I can't cover your carpool. What am I thinking? I gave you my kidney. You can't cover my carpool? It creates this imbalanced relationship. And I don't know about you. I don't want imbalanced relationships. I don't want her to feel like she owes me. You need a kidney. Take my kidney. Go on to head. Have a good life. You don't owe me anything. So I'd rather give it to somebody that I don't know. Three years after I donated my kidney to her, we became close, obviously, uh, afterwards. And she invited me to her daughter's wedding. Of course, I went to her daughter's wedding. How do you think I felt at her daughter's wedding? I'm sitting there watching the ceremony. They're under the chuppah. After the ceremony, this woman ran into my arms, crying, thanking me for letting her live to see this day. What amount of money could you have given me at that moment to give up that moment? What experience, what material possession? Nothing. To see her dance with her daughter at her daughter's wedding? I, I can't, I, there are no words for the pleasure. If you knew, you'd be running out of the room right now, calling up to, to get tested to give away your kidney. I asked the surgeon, Dr. Greenstein, who happens to be also an observant Jew, I asked him in the preparation for this whole experience, I go, if you can live a perfectly normal, healthy life with one kidney, why would God give you two? He goes, one to keep and one to give away. Takers are happy and get pleasure at the moment. But in the long run, takers are actually not happy people. Givers are happy people. It's much more pleasurable to be a giver. Go for the gold. Let's review. The four things you never knew about Judaism. The four foundations. The four misconceptions. J stands for judgment. You can't judge another person. You can only judge actions. Only God is allowed to judge. And we want God to judge us because the fact that he judges us means that my actions count. My life has meaning. A is it's not all or nothing. You're not being a hypocrite. If you make a mistake and then you do something right and then you make another mistake, every good, goodness that we do, every commandment we fulfill is for eternity, even if we err the second before and the second after. K, K stands for knowledge. It's better to know and not to do than not to know. It's better to have knowledge of something and not to put into action than never to have had the knowledge at all. Never be afraid to learn and grow. And P stands for, and it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the JWRP Momentum Talks. We hope that you have been inspired as you continue on your Jewish journey. Visit us online at jwrp.org 